Good morning, church. If you could grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, we have a few in the back. Just put your hand up, and we have some for you. Look at that. Look at that. Ephesians, we are going through just a small series here before we get back into the gospel according to Isaiah. And we're looking at spiritual warfare. And Ephesians is such a great book to do that. But before we begin, I want to just read part of Paul's prayer, which is my prayer for you as a church. And I just love this this aspect here that Paul... Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17. Two things I love this that he prays for. That the Lord, or that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's big prayer, his desire, is that you would know God. And that's my desire. Because if you don't know God, listen to this. If you don't know God, you do not have life. You cannot worship. You cannot find freedom. I'm all about knowing God. Then verse 18. Having, and also, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know, so here's the second thing, what is the hope to which he has called you? What the riches, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Two things he prays. Number one, that you would know him. That's my desire. Number two, that you, Christian, would know the beauty and the inheritance of the riches that you have in Christ. That's why right before this, verses 3 through 14, he just rambles and goes on about the beauty that we have in Christ. Christians, today it's time to think like saints, not sinners. Take a look at the slide here. We can have it up here. Because one of the greatest schemes of the enemy in spiritual warfare is this. Christian You are nothing, you have nothing, you're worthless, you're inept, you can't do it. And we walk around defeated because we believe the lies of the enemy. And so many of us live in the lie of the enemy instead of living in the truth of the word of God. It's one of the main battlegrounds the enemy has. It's like the classic story, you take a big fish tank. I've been to Steve's house, he has a huge fish tank. I could swim in that thing, I feel like. You take a predator fish. You take a northern pike. There's not many of those around here because everything is trout. Trout this, trout that, which is fine, but I love northern pike. You put a big pike, predator fish, they gulf down minnows, they scoop them up, they eat them up. You put a pane of glass there, and the, on one side are the minnows, one side is the big predator fish. And for days and weeks, he sees the minnows, he can't get to them, he keeps hitting. I can't get to them, I can't get them. Then, after about a month, they lift up the glass, and the minnows bump into him, and he's believed, I can't get them. 
I can't do it. And he'll just swim around, and the minnows will bump into him. He goes, I, I can't. My nose is smashed up. I can't do it. Or the Stockholm Syndrome, where the victim bonds to the enemy. I thought about coming up with a way where we somehow believe the lies of the enemy so much that we just go, yep, okay, I give in. Or, as I study World War II, it's amazing how many Jews that were captive, that were put in these camps, when the allies came, they couldn't believe it. They, they didn't know what to think. They're like, no, this is another scheme the enemy has played. And they didn't understand what real freedom was on VE Day. And here it is. The outcome of the war has been determined. God wins in the end, totally. But it's easy for us to believe the lie. The cross has defeated the enemy. And today, as every Sunday, we celebrate what God has done. Amen? Sometimes I feel like today we're going to pretend we're a southern church and we say amen a lot. Amen? Amen. And this passage is profound. And this may sound funny to you, you may disagree with me, but I'm going to do my best when we read this not to cry. Because I understand this complete contrast that we have. We once were objects of wrath, deserving his judgment. And then two words show up. I once was sucked in with the rest of humanity, hopeless, worthless. It's it's done. And we will soon see in chapter 2, two words that change everything. So let's pray before we dig into the word. Father, today we celebrate you. And Lord, it is our desire as Paul prayed, that we would know you, not just cognitively, not just in our head, but that we would experience you in every aspect of our lives. And also, Lord, that we would see, catch a glimpse today of the beauty of the riches that we have in your mercy, in your grace, in your goodness, and in your kindness. So Holy Spirit, Do your work. Liberate us who are in bondage, who have believed the lies of the enemy, so we would see the beauty of who you truly are and what you have done for us. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're in Ephesians, so turn to chapter 2 right there. Last week we covered the two Realms, the two arenas that the world, that the devil and the flesh can take a part of, but also contra that, the other aspect. And there's so many comparisons and contrasts within Scripture. Let's look at the first couple verses here. And you were, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following, number one, the course of this world, 
Number two, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at the sons of obedience, disobedience. Number three, among whom we all once live, living in our passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Take a look at the slide here. These are the two contrasts, the two aspects that we have. One is the world. The world and its influences, its philosophies, its mentality, its way of thinking, that's one of the major realms of spiritual warfare. It's all around us. The world is this external. It's the environment, the culture's attitudes, habits, and preferences that are contrary to God's values. We see it all around us. The world is all about screaming and trying to conform you to its pattern, its mindset. Verse 2 here says that. We follow the ways of the world. The other area, which is the spiritual, is the devil. The devil is a huge realm and spiritual influence when it comes to spiritual warfare. He is our opponent. It's the evil beings that entices the attitudes, habits, and preference that are contrary to God's values. And the last one is the flesh, which he speaks of here in the last part of three. We have this sphere, this realm, this flesh. It's our sinful nature. It's our internal nature that's man's tendency to and our bend to and towards attitudes and habits and preference that are contrary to God's values. These three realms, the world, the devil, and the flesh, are at work. But what's the contrast to that? What's the opposite of that? When one comes to Christ we enter into three different realms. The church, which is the body of Christ. Instead of the pattering to the world's behaviors and following, we are now part of the church. Christ is now in control. He is on the throne where the devil used to be on the throne. The devil controlled them, but now Christ controls us. And there is freedom from fearful bondage found in Christ. Always remember that. And what's the opposite of the flesh is the spirit of life, the spirit that brings life. And still today, these realms, the world, the devil, the flesh, still work their way to the Christian. We're no longer in bondage. We are freed from that. Praise the Lord. Amen? We once were in that. It's all past tense, Paul is saying. But as you read through Scripture, you will see these realms are serious realms that we need to be serious about and fight against. Prepare yourself. And we can resist them. Where the unregenerate, they cannot resist the control of the devil. Seriously, when I hear about someone who's popular, famous, who doesn't know the Lord, whether it be a politician or a Hollywood star, whoever, and they fall into some great sin that 50 years ago everyone would be like, oh, get rid of him. Now they, they become popular because of that sin. I just go, well, of course. 
They are controlled by those realms. But Christian, we are not controlled. We are set free. And we are in different realms. And we want to take a holistic approach. When it comes to spiritual warfare, I think of these three realms. I think, what is going on? Let me give you an example. And it was about eight years ago. Eight years ago in the former ministry I was in, we had this program, two-week program, where we would just have two weeks with high school students, and then the first couple days, we would just kind of get them into just praying and worshiping, and we did this thing we would call, we would call it just all-night worship, or we would just call, you know, just different things. We would come up with cool names to say, hey, we're going to worship all night long. And I remember it was the third night into this. We had everyone together, and we were just cranking the tunes. We called it worship at full volume. We would literally have the praise band sit down, and I would get my little, you know, I even had a computer back then, not an iPad, I wasn't fancy. And we would just praise music and just have the speakers going where they'd almost be smoking. And we would just be able to turn the lights down, you know, and just, and just have all night just worship at full volume. And we would just be like, worship, we would be just great. Two hours into this, usually when I'd be like, it's 11 o'clock, we need to shut her down. They'd be like, why? So we can do it again tomorrow, okay. And we'd go to bed and we'd do it again the next day. About an hour into this, one of our students just sat there like this. So I was like, okay, Lord, what's going on? Maybe she just ate something bad. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe she's having a hard day. She's missing her family. There's a couple things. So I just sat by her for about 10 minutes and just prayed. I said, Lord, help me be someone who can minister right now because something's not right here. So after about 10 minutes, I just said, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. All right. Are you enjoying your time just worshiping? Do you know these songs? Do you not? Is it too loud? If it's too loud, you're too old. Memorex, you know, never mind. No, I just, I can't worship. And I just thought a little bit. I thought, man, here's this girl. I knew her before she came to camp. She was all about Jesus. She's all about, she's just tender and just had this heart of compassion. She's worshipped before, so I was like, why can't you worship now? She says, what do you mean you can't worship? She said, I can't. Whenever the music is playing, it sounds like noise to me right now. I said, well, a lot of people are just, they're just hanging out, reading the Bible. Have you tried to read the Bible? I can't read the Bible. I open it up, and I just came and read the words. It'd be so easy for us to say, well, go take a nap. Go rest. Oh, you need to go see a doctor. So as I'm with her, I'm thinking, the world, the devil, the flesh. These things are involved in spiritual warfare. Lord, help me think and ask the right questions to assess what's going on. So I said, well, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Can you even read this passage here? I just pulled it out, and she said, I can't. I can't read it out loud. So right away, I went, okay, there is spiritual warfare going on. Right now, the devil, authorities that the devil has, demons, whatever's going on, principalities, there's different terms in this, something serious is going on here. So, all right, Lord, you're going to do your work, and you're going to be profound and beautiful in this. So I said, hey, tell me, let me just ask some weird questions. As a kid, did you ever involve yourself in just things that were, were 
bad and wrong or just like, like that, that you wouldn't do here at camp, such as watch movies that were like occultic or bad or do things? And she said, no, those are always freaky to me. I said, good, they should be. But she said, well, one time I did play a Ouija board. Okay? When you get involved in stuff that is of the devil, that is an open door for spiritual influence to bring serious problems in your life. So I asked a few more questions in that area. And she said, you know, you're right. I used to like this freaky, scary movie about demons in this person, and, and we thought it was cool because they were vomiting all over the people. And it's like, okay. Then I said, well, tell me about, here's another question I have. For, what, what about in your life? Do you feel like there's any sin? Are you doing things, anything in your life that's contrary to what God wants you to? And she thought through, I said, you know, because sin sometimes keeps us from the Lord. And she was like, you know, Cody, there's, there's really nothing. And I just asked a couple questions. She said, there's nothing. So I, I went through the flesh. I started talking about things of the flesh. She just gets in and she says, no, there's, there's not that. Then I thought about the world. I said, well, what about the way you live, your mindset? Are you following the ways of the world? Are you doing And she went, well, you know, I'm doing this. I'm, I, I wear this kind of clothing, and, and I do this to be provocative, and I'm doing this, and, I, and I'm acting like this at times, and, and I really think that this, and I just started asking her questions, and I realized in her life right then, the devil was heavily involved in what was going on. And her idea of getting seduced by the world. She was buying into all this stuff. And I said, well, what about as a little kid? Did things happen to you that were, were bad or sad? And she started saying, well, this, this happened to me. And, and it's amazing how other people's sins can be an impact on you when you're in a family or when you're close to someone. Have you seen the movie The Incredibles? Anyone? Be honest. Okay, there's a few of you. The Incredible was the first, when Kaylin was five years old, it was the first date we went on. She ran around a lot and ate pop- popcorn. She didn't really was concerned about The Incredibles. There's a scene in The Incredibles where the dad, who's his superhero, is all strong, got captured, but he's, no, it's just before he got captured, he's running around, and he's like, there's this like computer thing where he realizes, oh, all these people are getting taken away. He's in this like big room, and he's like, oh my, I gotta get out of here. So he starts running away, and these guns come out, and they start start shooting these, like, blobs of tar that grow on him. He's like, oh, I can't get free. And he's getting, like, tar thrown at him. And I started asking this girl questions about her life and her background. And it broke my heart to hear of how men and other people's tar was just thrown on this innocent person and brought her into bondage. But here's the good news. She knew Christ. She knew that there was freedom. But she was like, how do I get freedom? So I began to say, let's look at these three realms and realize you are no longer in bondage in these areas. You have been set free. And you need to confess and say, Lord, I no longer belong to that. I am in your hands. And we turn to, if you don't mind, turning to Isaiah 44. I don't know why I turned to this passage at the time. Isaiah 44, 
I started with verse 3. I said, look what the Lord in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ, pointing to this time when ultimate freedom will happen. Because as we're in Isaiah, we know that there's captivity happening. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on a dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. 44, verse 4. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. One will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call upon the name Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And name himself by the name of Israel. And I said, dear sister, you belong to the Lord. And it's time for you to realize you are no longer captive to this stuff. You are the Lord's. And I said, why don't you just say that right now? And she couldn't say it. So then I said, everyone, we're shutting down the loud music. I want all the guys to go in a different room and you're just going to pray for her. And girls, you're going to gather around her and you're just going to pray for her. And we prayed for a good 20 minutes. It wasn't arm wrestling with the devil. It was, Lord, we know that you reign right here, right now. And these are the lies she has believed and she has involved herself in. And she started confessing that stuff. And I got a pen and I said, what I want you to do is write the Lord's on your hand. Just like this passage. You belong to him. And she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. So we just started praying for her. And finally she started confessing some sin that she had. Because there was this flash. She said, oh, I'm not sinning. Okay, I am. As soon as she confessed that sin, it's like the gates were opened up. And she was like, oh, I can praise him now. The Lord. She started running on her hand. Let's pray. Turn up the music. And we just said, okay, let's do it. And we praised and, you know, We were loud for another hour. There is freedom in Christ. But these realms... To the unregenerate, they are captive. But to the Christian, they can still influence. Take a look at the next slide here. A large comparison and contrast is also found in the New Testament where we sometimes get wrapped up, and listen to this, we get wrapped up so much in spiritual forces, like, oh, what do we do with spiritual warfare? Let me, you know, let me get all serious here and see if there's any demons under the chairs and the rocks and we're all freaked out. Instead of focusing on spiritual forces... In Scripture, over and over, Paul is saying, look at your spiritual resources that you have. This week, and in two weeks, we're going to look at the spiritual resources that we have. Instead of focusing on the defeated enemy, we focus on the victorious Christ. Here there is fear in that realm. But in the realm of the Christian, there is freedom and truth when we trust him. Our confidence is not to be in the spiritual forces or the defeated enemy, but in the spiritual resources and the victory found in Christ. This is important as we think through this. The next slide shows another comparison in contrast found in Scripture. In spiritual warfare, we do not start with our doing or weapons. So many times when I look at some of the spiritual warfare books, it's all about, here's all your weapons, here's what you need to do. I just think, that's just opposite of what Paul did. 
Paul began with this framework, which we're going to look at today in Scripture, this understanding of here's the spiritual realms that are going on, here's the battleground, and this is what God is all about. Instead, we are to look and begin with what God is doing. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's not about you. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And then the battlefield and realms. These comparisons are seen in a great way that we're going to look at. It's about what God has done. So turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. When I was working on this, as you know, I do the laborious task, which I find exciting, is translating this from the Greek. And I saw that verses 1 through 7 in the original language is one sentence. So at first it was a little bit hard for me to translate because I'm like, we're, we're so used to quick little sentences. Here's the subject, here's the object, here's the verb, here's the direct, you know, all these kind of things. Here's a preposition. This was one long sentence. I'm like, okay, wow, this is hard. What, what's going on? Because I did the first part for last week and the, the last part for this week. So I'm like, what's going on here? Take a look at this next slide. This is important to see. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7, there is a subject. But that subject doesn't show up until verse 4. God is the subject when we deal with spiritual warfare. Again, so many people want to take a look at spiritual warfare and think, let's put all the cool demon movies in and, and think of how creepy they are and all this. No! The enemy is a grape in comparison to the power of God. Amen? The subject is God in this passage. He doesn't show up until verse 4. It's not the realms, the world, the devil, the flesh. That's not even the subject. The subject is God. Guess what? Look, look at me for a moment. When it comes to spiritual warfare, your attitude should be the same. The enemy is not the subject. The issues are not the subject. God is. He's always number one and supreme. Remember that. There's three main verbs. There's three verbs here. Made, alive with, raised up with, seated with. The verbs aren't go and pray this certain type of way or do these certain things. It's not about us doing. It's what he has done in this passage. And the object of the verb is not demons or Satan or the flesh. The object of the verb is us, those who are found in Christ. So let's take a look at this passage. I'm going to read it again from the beginning, starting with verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by 
nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The next slide is very simple. This begins with two words, but God. Look at me. I was once a slave to this world, following its desires and passions, believing its idolatry, ways of worship. But God brought me into a different realm. Amen? I once was dead, unable to do anything spiritual. But God gave me life. Amen? I once was in bondage, a slave to my sin, my flesh, but God freed me. Amen? These are possibly the two greatest words in Scripture. Ask Pastor John, he'll agree with me. These are his two favorite words in Scripture. There is an agent outside of our capacity who has come has a plan of salvation to liberate his children. This is all about God. It's not but you, you decided, you made us. No, it's God. Listen to this. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. These two words, in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole gospel. The gospel tells of what God has done, his intervention, It is something that comes entirely from outside of us and displays to us that wondrous and amazing and astonishing work of God. God moves on our behalf. So please listen. If ever the enemy says, but you, remember your sin? Remember the things you've done? Remember your past marriage? Remember your past job? Remember the lies that you haven't even told your wife, your spouse? Remember the things that you harbor within your heart? I believe it's time when the devil says that, you say, but God. But God. Why did he do this? Here it is. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us. No wonder John 3.16 is so famous, right? For God so loved the world. Right before we were objects of wrath, but God who is rich in mercy. I deserve wrath. I deserve judgment. God is just, but he's more than just. He's grace and mercy. Why did he do this? Because of his great love. And we all, right here in this verse, literally should say, Lord, 
I surrender and I choose to worship you 24-7. I quit my job. Okay, don't do that. But literally, this should be so profound that you just go, oh yeah, I have life. It's based upon the riches of God's mercy and grace towards me. But how did he do this? And what did he do? Take a look at the next part here in the next slide. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's the first thing he did. He made us alive. It's interesting that each of these three verbs start with the same prefix, which means together, with, and this is all with Christ. We are alive with Christ. When he rose, we rose with him. We are alive with Christ. We once were dead, but now we're alive. He came to save us. I am the Lord's. Remember, when dealing with spiritual warfare here, this is a huge area that the enemy is all about keeping those captive and not seeing the Lord. I was a senior in college, big man on campus, thought I was pretty cool. I was a spiritual life coordinator, so I could be all fancy and cool on the campus. And I get a phone call around 11 o'clock. Hey, Cody, we need someone to uh, pray for someone in the prayer room. I can do that because I'm the spiritual guy on campus. No problem, here I come. So I grabbed my Bible, and I thought, you know what? Let me grab my friend Danny. Danny, come, let's go pray for someone. Hey, let's go do it because we're the spiritual guys on campus. So we go down underneath the cafeteria, and there's this little room for prayer. And we get in there, and here's this guy, Randy, and he's like, hey, this is my girlfriend, and she just needs prayer. Something's wrong with her. So I look at Danny. I'm like, okay. And I have this good Baptist background. I knew the Bible. I knew, you know, hundreds of verses. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Spiritual warfare. I'm going to pray for this girl. And Danny grew up in a Pentecostal church. So he's all like, woo, let's get going. So the, us as a combination was pretty, pretty exciting. <laughs> so we get there, and he, I go, what's going on? And she's in the corner, like, shivering and, like, all, like, Ugh. And I look at Danny, and I'm like, oh, let's get this done, man. So good Baptist boy that I was, I'd get my Bible open. It was my good King James Schofield, red letter edition, of course, because that was the best kind in the day and still is. But. So I get my Bible ready, and Danny, the Pentecostal guy, goes, well, I'll show you how to get this done. And he goes over to this girl that's a little bit smaller than my wife, and Danny is the sign of, size of Tony, our drummer. Football player, big guy, and he walks up to this girl and lays a hand on her and begins to pray and as soon as he starts to pray, in Jesus' name, she throws him across the room. That doesn't happen. It'd be kind of fun to watch my wife throw Tony across the room. We all would laugh, and so would Jackie. This would be fun to see. But there's no way this little girl could toss this huge guy across the room. And we both, our eyes were huge. We're like, what is going on in this room? And I grabbed my Bible and said, all right, Lord. I don't know what's going on in this room with her, but I know you. So I said, Danny, we need to pray. This is serious. So we began, every time I would read scripture, she'd start yelling at me. Every time we tried to pray, she'd start yelling and try to drown us out. And we got to the other side of the room and said, Danny, this isn't normal. There's some serious spiritual warfare going on here. And I said, I don't know what to do, but I know what Jesus did. 
So let's look at some passages. And we begin to talk with this boy. I said, all right, what's the deal with this girl? I said, is she even a Christian? He said, no. I looked at Danny and said, Danny, this is the realm that we're dealing with. She's not even a Christian yet. The enemy has such a hold on her, and stuff was happening on campus, spiritual things where people were getting confessing sin, and there was like a little mini revival just about to break out, and we're like, something's going on, and the enemy was not happy, and the enemy was entrapping this girl, and we're like, okay, so Danny, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pray, and I'm going to read scripture, and if, I, if she throws my Bible, I, I know a lot of scripture, we're just going to start quoting scripture, and we know the Lord's authority in this situation. This is all about God, and he said, that's what we're going to do. And it was so beautiful that it wasn't something that we had to yell and scream and yell as loud as she was yelling. We just claimed truth. Lord, we know that you've come to set the captives free. We began to pray for her, and we prayed that we would be able to even let, let our words reach her heart. And after an hour, she became a Christian. By confessing sin, by confessing all this stuff. And the Lord moved in her heart in such a way it was so beautiful and profound that we were all crying at the end. It was a time of worship. The first thing that the enemy wants to do is keep those captive, captive forever. But when the Lord comes, there is freedom. Amen? And it was beautiful and profound. When someone comes to know the Lord. I was once dead, but now I'm made alive. He came to save us. The first verb that the Lord does is he makes his children alive. The next part. And raised us up with him. The second verb. And raised us up with him. We used to follow the ways of the world. We used to be sucked into all this stuff. It's ways of thinking. It's patterns of life. The way we deal with our finances, our clothing, our time, our free time, our vacation time. We are raised up with Christ. We are under Christ. We are in Christ. We are raised by the power of God and we experience His power and we can. We can experience His power See, we used to live in conformity to the world. And as you'll hear next week from Grant, we are now to live in the conformity of what the Lord wants. One week after we prayed for this girl, we get another phone call. It's the middle of the day. This time it's her. Would you pray for my boyfriend? Something's wrong with him now. Okay. I called Danny. I said, Danny, skip your class. Don't do that if you're going to college. Jesse, go to classes. So Danny, skip your class. We got to pray again. He's like, "All right," but I said, "Danny, here's the deal. In some ways, this is beyond you and me. It's not just about you and I. Let's get others to help out because this is huge." So I called my RA. I said, "Dude, can you come and help us pray?" "No, I can't. I've got something going on." "Okay, dude. Yeah, fine. Whatever." And I remember on our college side, there, there was a road that separated us from the seminary side. And I remember hearing that there was this professor over there that wrote a book on spiritual warfare, Timothy Warner. So I'm like, I'm calling that dude. I'm going to tell him to skip his class okay, and see what's going on. So I called, I called 
one of the guys I knew, Doug Moo, I said, is he around? He said, no, he's not around. I said, okay. This is, I said, Doug, this is what I've got going on. Uh, any advice? He says, just go pray for him. It's not about you or who you choose. It's the Spirit of God in you, Cody. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't need someone that wrote a book on it. This is all about God's power, God's authority. But I was like, we got to go somewhere. So I called my chaplain, Hutz. Dude, give me the keys for your room, your apartment. We're going to your apartment and doing it there for this, this guy. No girls involved, just, just a bunch of boys. He's like, great, get a couple guys. So we called Kurt and we said, all right, let's get a bunch of guys. We're praying for this. So we started out praying. This guy, something was wrong. And I thought through these phases. Is it, is it the devil? Is it the same thing that was going on with her, his, his girlfriend? No, it's not that, okay? Sure, he's involved, but that wasn't the main focus. Is, is it the world? And then I just, in the middle of prayer, I just thought of the word pornography. I'm like, great, thanks a lot, Lord. I should be thinking that when I'm praying. I thought, well, let me ask this. So I went up to the boy and said, dude, is this in your life? And he just went, no. Okay, I went back and prayed and said, is this in your life? No. Then I went back and prayed. Then I found a passage in Galatians about sexual immorality. I went, okay, Lord, is this in your life? And he said, yes, it is. And he just started to weep and cry. After 10 minutes of prayer, it was done. We were made alive. And we're raised with Christ. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells within us right now. And the Spirit of God is in you. And has the power to break the bondage that you are a slave to sin, possibly some of you. We are freed from the penalty of sin, but daily we can be freed from the power of sin. Praise God, amen? So if you have sin in your life, Know that you are raised up with Christ. You have new life. Read Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 4. We have new life in him. The last one. The last verb. And seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen to this. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised with Christ. Now we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. This is a place of honor. We are seated in a place of honor with Christ. And one of Satan's greatest tactics is to convince you, try to convince you, that you are no longer in him. You don't belong in him. You are worthless. I remember one kid said, hey, disciple me couple of years ago. I said, sure, hang out with me as much as you can. In fact, come and we'll hang out and we'll, we'll study the Bible together. But he would always sit and go, mm. I go, well, let's study the Bible. Oh, I just can't study the Bible. Oh, let, let's pray together. Oh, I just, oh, okay, I'm just frustrated. He would just talk to himself and mumble to himself all the time. I said, man, what's wrong? I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I'm free. I see the wrath of God all the time. I see his, his judgment. And I just go, woe is me. And I was like, dude, you're free. What, what are you doing? And that's just when the Luther movie came out. And there's this part in the Luther movie that, that Hollywood put out. There's a part where he's in his room. He's like, you devil, stay away from me. And he's like, that's me. I just walk around going, oh, why me? And the enemy is all about going, Woe is you. 
I have been made alive. I have been raised up and I am seated with Christ, the place of honor. I no longer belong to those realms. And he'd just go, I need to put on new glasses. I need to see myself as God sees me. And I need to see these words. Take a look at this last slide. Why does this all happen? Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. I deserve wrath, but I have mercy, love, grace, and kindness lavished upon us, chapter 1. Poured upon us because of his great love. The devil's claim on you is totally destroyed. He no longer has a claim on you. He will slip in his lies And when he does, you need to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, kindness, love, grace, made me alive, raised me up, and seated me with Christ. Some of you may be bound to depression, so you think. Some of you may say, I'm still, I have this funk in me that I can't fix. I just wonder why. And the enemy says, you're captive, you're slave to it. There's no longer shackles on you. You've been free because of what God has done. And you need to focus on his grace and his mercy and the beauty of what Christ has done on the cross. Today we celebrate what God has done. And one of the greatest, most sacred things we can do this side of heaven is celebrate him and partaking in communion. I was once dead, lost, bound to this world. The enemy controlled me and my flesh reigned in my life. But God, he raised me He made me alive, and he seated me with Christ. How could you not worship him forever? Let's pray.